Uh, how are you feeling? All right, third service, you sound, you sound amazing. It sounds great out there. Now, um, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna belabor getting into our, our message because we have a, uh, a very challenging message ahead. And so I wanna, I wanna just jump right into it. So the, the important question I always ask you, are you ready for God's word? Amen, amen, amen. You know, we value God's word here. We believe that the Holy Scriptures are special. And uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna cover a little bit of that. And like I said, this is a message that's weighing heavy on my heart. It's weighing heavy on my heart because it's not a message that I, I uh, celebrate in preaching. It's a message that I'm duty-bound to preach today. Duty-bound. I had no intention of preaching this message when I outlined... Um, the sermon series that we're entering in today is entitled The Church. Come on, how many of us know that the church is God's bride and it's beautiful? Yes, I know it's made up of all of us and so we bring our challenges to the church, but in it and through it all, the Holy Spirit is doing a great work. And say, Pastor, where did the church come from? The church came from God's love and grace for you and I, for you and I. You know, the Lord resurrected and conquered death 2,000 years ago. He set us free from the law of sin and death. And he conquers death. And when people saw that, were exposed to that miraculous uh, event, they, they believed. But it wasn't just the resurrection. It was also the word of God that spoke of the resurrection spoke of the resurrection. Now, I'll, during the sermon series, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to uncover more and more of that, but I want you to know what happened. So there's a belief in God, and when you believe in God, meaning you receive him in faith, you turn from your way, and you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're filled with the Spirit, you walk in newness of life. You walk a new life. Come on, anyone experience that? Amen. Amen. And that was the start of the church. Jesus Christ conquers the grave. He promises the Holy Spirit. He says, you will receive power. Power for what? Power not only to share the gospel, but to live different. To have a holy consequence in your life. You will receive power and you will go in my authority. Power and authority from on high. And and over that little group of believers, the Holy Spirit came and visited, fell upon them, filled them, and the church began in grand fashion. The church began by the power of the Holy Spirit. And through the ages, the Lord has preserved his church, has preserved his church, his word. And so I want you to know something. Today I titled my message, Church in Crisis. Church in Crisis. You might ask yourself, Pastor, wow, that's, not, that, that's kind of a, a, an interesting way to start. Actually, as I looked at that, I understood that I needed to add a second title. Because the first title doesn't quite capture it all. Yes, the church appears to be in crisis, but I believe the church is preparing for the Lord's return. What do I mean the church is preparing for the Lord's return? I think some of the challenges and some of the messiness that we're seeing today is God refining his church. God is refining his church through the furnace of affliction, through the furnace of, uh, of, of sifting, or, or he's sifting his church. That's another word for it. What do we mean by sifting, refining? He's making us better. The Bible says in the book of, of Ephesians, that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church, and that he washes her. And the Bible says that, that Paul is not just talking about man and, and, and wife, but he's talking about a profound mystery of Jesus Christ and his bride. So this is about Jesus Christ and the church, that he will wash her with his word and present her, how? Holy, Right? Without blemish or spot or wrinkle. Come on, come on, ladies. How many of you on your wedding day uh, 
didn't care what your dress looked like. And you picked it up, you know, two weeks prior, you had all the alterations and you were like, eh, I really don't care if it fits exactly right. Threw it in the back of the truck and just let it slosh around in the back bed, pulled it out, kind of shook it off, put it on and let's go for it. It was, was that your wedding? No, no one does that. Everyone says, you know what? I want to look as good as I can. Do you realize the church of Jesus Christ is being prepared for his return? And while it brings me no pleasure and I want you to hear my heart, because you might be tempted when I start off to get up and leave. And I'm gonna ask you, I'm gonna ask you to have courage, to stay, to listen to the message in its entirety. And even if you don't believe or agree with me, um, at least hear all that God has put in my heart and that I've prepared for you today. And, and the reason I say this is because I want up front for you to know that I'm not preaching necessarily against something or against someone as much as I'm preaching for something or someone. I'm preaching for the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm preaching for the life-changing work of salvation, of salvation. I truly believe that. And you say, pastor, get on with it. Let's do this. Let's do this. This past week, one of my heroes in the faith, Charles Stanley, went to be with the Lord. And growing up in the Baptist denomination, like I did, I'm very proud of my heritage. Why? Because the Lord used it in such a remarkable way to bring me to saving grace. He used that denomination. And and I, and I grew up learning the word of God um, kind of by, by the teaching of great men like, like Pastor Stanley. Um, his son Andy was one of my heroes as well. I say was because I believe there's some things that he is teaching now that really need to be addressed. You say, Pastor, why would you address just one person? I'm not really addressing one person. I'm addressing the spirit of the age that he's representing the spirit of the age that he's representing. And so as you listen to what I uncover, I don't want you to be deceived. And so my job is to equip the saints. I think people think that the preacher's job is to gain more flock. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the preaching of the word is for the equipping of the saints. You go out and share the gospel. Because when I... When I don't equip the saints and I preach uh, for those that don't know God, then I'm going to want to, what, tickle their ears. I'm going to want to have them be a consumer. And that's what we have. We have a consumer model in the church. And so what I want you to know is that Andy has been, well, let me quit telling you what Andy has been. Let him tell you himself. Our job is to lead, model, disciple, equip people to navigate cultural shifts in keeping with the teaching of Jesus and the apostles. Now you say, Andy, that sounds kind of dishonest and sneaky. No, it's not dishonest and sneaky. It's leadership and it's shrewd. Jesus said you're to be wise as serpents and shrewd, excuse me, wise serpents. You're supposed to be wise as, harmless as doves and shrewd as serpents. We get so harmless, we forget sometimes we need to be shrewd. We need to be more snake-like in the appropriate Jesus kind of way, which means when people need to begin shifting their thinking, you don't get up and announce, you disciple and you teach people. So there are people, People on the, when it comes to the LGBTQ community and our churches, right? There's some people that wanna drag us too fast and there are some people who wanna pull us back too hard. Welcome to leadership, welcome to pastoring. It's okay, but don't take anyone's church away from them unnecessarily. And if you're in a church and 95% of the church has sort of said, you know what, we're not going there, then maybe you need to go somewhere else. But don't get up saying, by golly, God called me and I'm, you'd just be so careful. That's not loving people, that's something else. So when it comes to this issue or any issue, keep that in mind. Our job is to lead, model, disciple, and equip people for those shifts according to the teaching of Jesus and the apostles. Um, don't take people's church away unnecessarily. But I'm not worried about you and us when it comes to this. I just wanna make sure that we keep this front and center for the sake of the next generation. 
because God's doing incredible, incredible things and we wanna be a part of it. And yes, it's messy, not because gay people are messy, but because the church is messy and because of the history of the church. And once again, for those of you, if you're here and you're gay and maybe nobody even knows, I just wanna applaud you for your faith and the fact that you would even step foot inside of a church and wanna worship Jesus in private and quietly because that. And so I find it interesting that he highlights this thought. He says, Andy, that sounds what? Dishonest and sneaky. And so I wanna present to you, I'm gonna show you my cards. I do think he's being dishonest and sneaky. And I'll tell you why. Um, And and I wanna also let you know something else. I did. I did hours upon hours of research. Not only do I have many of Andy Stanley's books in in my personal library in which I've read, um, like I said, he was one of my heroes. Not only did I prepare this message where I pulled some of his clips, but I never pulled someone's clip without listening to the entire message. And so I listened to the entire message. I listened to many more messages that I didn't use clips from. But I wanted to get a context, and so I want to present it in the most fair uh, and balanced way possible. And so here you have uh, his quote. He says, our job is to lead, model, disciple, and equip people to navigate cultural shifts. Yeah, I do realize we're here to help navigate cultural shifts. But then he added something. He said something like, after the quote, he said, so that we can help them change or adapt. I'm not, I'm not quoting him verbatim, but he's saying we should help people change. The church change or the ones coming in? Um, because we're not to adapt to the culture if it means compromising the word. See, God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what makes it special. He doesn't change. Come on, how many of us are so sick of politicians that change like the wind? They're just one thing, they just, you know, which way is it blowing today? No, God doesn't change. This is beautiful. Now watch, he said the quote twice, and one time it says, to navigate cultural shifts in keeping with, the other time he said, according to the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. Well, let's see, does he hold true to that? Because I do think that's a fair quote if you hold true to it. And today I want to let God's word speak for itself. So you're going to be, this, this message, you'll notice no illustrations, no, no, no funny stories, just, just chock full of God's word. Amen. And so that's what I think we need. But first listen to this other clip to see if he's holding to what he said he would hold to. Reasons, but we have to embrace this challenge and we have to lead the way. Um, in my experience, now this is just my experience, okay? I'm just gonna read what I wrote. If I could figure out how to get straight people as excited about serving and engaging as the gay men and women I know, we would have a volunteer backlog. That's my experience in our churches. Well, I, I'm a gay person, I'll just read it to you. A gay person, when I say gay, men and women, okay? A gay person who still wants to attend church after the way the church has treated the gay community, I'm telling you, they have more faith than I do. They have more faith than a lot of you. A gay person who knows, you know what? I might not be accepted here, but I'm gonna try it anyway. Have you ever done that as a straight person? Do you, where do you go that you're not sure you're gonna be accepted and you go over and over and over and over? Only your in-law's house. That's the only place you go where you know you're not completely accepted, but you go over and over and over and it's because you have to. But other than the in-laws, what environment do you continue to step foot in knowing at any moment you may feel ostracized? No place, I'm telling you, the gay men and women who grew up in church and the gay men and women who've come to faith in Christ as adults who want to participate in our church, oh my goodness. I know 1 Corinthians 6 and I know Leviticus and I know Romans 1. It's so interesting to talk about all that stuff, but just, oh my goodness, a gay man or woman who wants to worship their heavenly father who did not answer the cry of their heart when they were 12 and 13 and 14 and 15. God said no, and they still love God. 
We have some things to learn from a group of men and women who love Jesus that much and who wanna worship with us. And I know the verses, I know the clobber passages, right? We gotta figure this out. Notice when he said, I know the clobber passages. Being dismissive, marginalizing, he's using these tactics. He marginalizes those that, are, that he calls straight, belittles their commitment and heightens those he calls gay. Now, I want you to understand something here. I'm not here coming against one sin. I want to be very, very clear. I'm against sin, but more specifically, I'm for the power of the resurrection and the infilling of the Holy Spirit to change us forever, to change us regardless of what our struggle is. We all have struggles, and this is my point. He's not being very, very forthright, honest. I think he is being a little sneaky, and I'll show you the first. Uh, my, my first example is, is the screen behind him. Read this, this uh, what's on his screen. Leading our churches to acknowledge there are gay people, not just straight people, with a sin problem. I find that very disingenuous. How so? Well, let me share with you. It's a false equivocation. Some might say, uh, some use the, the word false equivalence. What is that? It's an argument or a claim in which two completely opposing arguments appear to be logically equivalent when in fact they are not. It's employed as a way to make a bad faith argument. See the phrase Bad faith argument means a statement or position that the arguer knows isn't honest and fair. What do I mean by that? I mean that straight people never, never does it say straight people is a sin. But it does say, the word of God does say that homosexuality is a... So how can you... E Equate them. Let me, let me be a, a little bit more direct. See, the logical form to an argument like that goes something like this. Thing one and thing two both share characteristics. Therefore, thing one and thing two are equal. Let me clarify it even closer. Natural things are good for you. When you eat them, therefore, or, or wait, natural things are good for you when you eat them. Uh, dirt is natural. Therefore, if you eat dirt, it's good for you. See how that's a faulty statement? How that's not being very genuine in my heart? Do you see this sleight of hand? You see it over and over and over because he has an agenda. What's his agenda? Notice how he dismissed the word of God. Just, just sleight of hand subverting its authority by saying, yes, oh my goodness, I know the clobber passages. But think about this. What if we were being honest and said, what if I changed that? Instead of saying gay, I used another one of the sins that the Apostle Paul or any of the clobber passages use. How about we use the, the word adultery? And I say, oh my goodness. If adulterers would be treated like you guys have treated adulterers, oh, if you would be treated like adulterers, like you've been treated them over the years. And oh my goodness, if an adulterer did not just trust the Lord of God as his savior when he was a young man, and now he's not allowed to come into our church and to worship and to love as many women as he wants. Hey, oh, pastor, you're not being very fair with your argument. Yeah, I'm being emphatic. I'm trying to stretch this to show you how ludicrous it sounds. That, that's, no, we expect anyone to submit their struggle to the cross and to say, Lord, I believe you for greater. 
not highlighting one over another, but let's not excuse them because the enemy will have you excusing this one today, another one tomorrow, and he'll just go right on down the line until there is no difference between the church and the world. That's his point. That's what he wants. So let's cover the clobber passages as he would put it. He mentioned Corinthians. Let's read. Let's let the word of God speak for itself. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Now, I want to highlight a couple of, of, of points here. The first point I want to make is don't be deceived. The Bible says in the end times, deception is going to run rampant and you've got to guard your heart. Now, I want to, I want to highlight that concept of deception. So he says, do not be deceived. Neither what? Fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. How clear can that be? Watch the good news. And such were some of you. That's what we used to be. Come on, how many of us have been changed by the power of Almighty God that came and filled us the day we believed? This is the good news. This is why it takes courage to tell the truth. To tell the truth in love. It takes no courage to tell people what they want to hear. Oh, people want an excuse for sin. How about I just, how about I don't cover any of this hard stuff? How about I just say, you know what? Whatever you're working through, just, just keep on going. You know, God has already paid for it. It's done. We'll, he'll sort it out in heaven. And, and you know what? I'll excuse your sin. We, you excuse my sin. Let's just tidy up our sin a, a little bit. Let's dignify it some. Let's just dignify it some. And the way we dignify it is, you know, you come in here, you worship hard. We'll pray and sing about all that God can do, but in our hearts we know that he may or may not do it here. But in heaven, in heaven, what, what, is that what the word of, it takes no courage to do that. To pack out a church, to tell them what you want them, what, what they want to hear. It takes courage to say, no, I'm going to tell you in love. In love, what the world doesn't tell you. What the world will not tell you. But such were some of you, but you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Leviticus 18 says, you shall not lie with a male as with uh, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. That means a man should not lie with a man. Listen to what else it says. For a man lies, if a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed a what? An abomination. They shall surely be put to death. You say, well, pastor, are you advocating? No, we live under grace. I get it. No one's getting stoned. But we're, we're, people will be lost in eternity. Because unless you accept the grace that changes things, there is no other sacrifice. Stay with me. Let's keep going through the clobber passages. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passion. Now notice, he's saying, I'm going to give you up. I'm going to give you up, meaning I'm not even going to judge you. Your judgment's going to be that you're going to have to live with what you produce. And watch what happens here. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful. There's a, there, there's a word. I want you to keep that word shameful in mind. And receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God. I drop down to verse 32 because I, I, I'm, I'm limited on time. That those who practice... Watch that word practice. That's not saying they stumble now and again. That's not saying that, hey... 
I have a sin issue, you have a sin issue, we're, we're walking it out in holiness by the power of the Holy Spirit, but sometimes we fall. No, I'm talking about practicing, living in it. That's what he's saying here. Practice such things are deserving of what kind of death is he talking about here again? He's talking about the ultimate death. This is not loving when you don't tell people the truth. Watch. Not only do the same, but also approve those who practice them. There's that word practice again. I believe Andy's approving of it. And, and he says it's for the younger generation. Well, let's talk about the younger generation. We've got to get this right for the younger generation, he said. Gallup took a poll in 21 of adults who self-identified as LGBT, and they grouped it by generation. Traditionalists were before 1946. Only 0.8 identified that way. Okay, baby boomers, 2.6, all the way up to Gen Z that's at 20.8. You want a, a, a better representation in terms of a graph? These individuals put it in a graph form. Someone said in first service, it's growing. It's not growing, it's doubling. It's interesting that in Genesis, we have a story of two cities that let it get out of control. Didn't end well. It did not end well. Again, I'm not picking on one sin. I'm saying sin is sin and the, and the gospel message is more powerful than it. I'm not going to excuse it. I'm going to tell you there's a better way. His name is Jesus. He fills you with his Holy Spirit to live holy. To live holy. Keep, keep staying with me. It address, it's, everything is addressed in God's word. Look. Flee sexual immorality. Another clobber passage. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God? And you are not your own. What do you mean I'm not my own? If you belong to Christ, then you belong to him. He determines how you should live. And his word is said you should live holy. But it's hard. That's why you need the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why you need his power. Listen to what, what Jesus says. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality. And the word used there is pornea. Pornea, which means all kinds of sexual sin. And some say, yes, but Jesus never addressed it directly. Yes, he did. He did address it directly. You want me to explain it to you? He did not degrade himself and lower himself as the son of God to sit there and to explain every illicit, nasty, deplorable, pornographic thought, experience, and experiment that the depraved mind of man could come up with. He would have to sit there and list everyone to exhaust them all, or someone would say, he left mine out. <laughs> Imagine how degrading it is for God to sit there and talk about sin. The New Testament said, those things are despicable. They shouldn't be talked about am among you. Instead, live holy. <laughs> so you want to know what Jesus did? He did the FBI approach. When the FBI teaches their anti-counterfeit um, division how to spout a counterfeit, they don't say, here are the million possibilities. Study them all. Oh, there's a million in one now. Oh, there's a million in two. These guys are creative. No, he's, they, he, they, they say, study the real. Learn it backwards and forward. And when it's not the real, then you know it's a? What did Jesus do? He pointed back to the creative order. What's the creative order? A man should leave his, his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they should leave and cleave and become one. Become one. This is what I bless. He says anything outside of that is not blessed. Amen. 
Praise the Lord. You hear that? This is why I think it's interesting. And he represents, you say, Pastor, why are you picking on him? I'm not picking on him. I've just finally decided, okay, let's use him as a case study and learn from what he's doing. And then we just apply it to all these guys that are going the same way. They're a dime a dozen. They're a dime a dozen. Well, Jesus didn't address it, so he stayed silent on the issue. We should too. No, he wasn't silent on the issue. He wasn't. See, it has to, you go, how did we get here? It's a low view of scripture that gets us here. A low view of scripture. Listen to this, this quick little clip. Yeah, you can't start with the Bible says the Bible. I mean, you can. The Bible says the Bible says the Bible says. But here's the thing. Everybody else now knows what else the Bible says. It, it, it's, so now I'm beginning to spit and match on the six-day creation, young earth, old earth, Levitical law, homosexuality. I mean, it's like, oh, gosh, you know, we're. The issue is who is Jesus? That's the issue. And if you get that straight, the dominoes start falling in, um, you know, good directions for the most part. I think the only way we can get there, Andy, is by saying the Bible says. No, we, Bible, we don't have to say that. If I, if I could finish the thought, the Bible says that Jesus rose again from the dead. That's no, how it actually know. doesn't say that. That's how you know Jesus rose from the dead, because the biblical witness gives you that testimony that Jesus rose from the dead. You just changed terminology, which is a very subtle but important shift in terminology. I, I didn't. Uh, that Bible is where you get the message that Jesus rose again from the dead. Both no, both. it's it's not. <clears throat> well, explain so where, that, where, Andy. Where you, explain that. Well, Andy. What do you mean by saying the Bible doesn't say that Jesus rose from the dead? <laughs> because the Bible doesn't say anything. John did. Moses did. David did. And that's Jesus in the Bible. Did, Paul did. But it was only in the Bible once it got put in the Bible. Here's a way of thinking about it. That's incoherent, Andy. Well, Jeff Durbin says, that's incoherent. Yeah, and it's funny how he goes, no, that's a slight little shift. He's real good at shifting, so he can spot it, I guess. But, but this is my point. He's about to make a statement, which I'll, I'll make it, and I'll be fair to him. He says, you don't put valuable things in a safe to make them valuable. In other words, you don't put a, a Cracker Jack ring in a safe and hope that it stays there long enough and all of a sudden, it gains tremendous value. So what is he saying? He's saying that the individual books penned by individual authors are what's valuable. The safe is not valuable. Another faulty argument. Let me explain it. How about the individual books and the authors, their work, are like gems, priceless gems. The Bible is not the safe. The Bible is the necklace that adorns them and arranges them. More valuable, in a sense, as a collection. Both are valuable. Both are priceless. And the safe is the hand of God that keeps it secure. Come on, Andy. No, no, no. That sleight of hand, the silliness. I mean, even Dr. Peterson, I don't have time to play it for you. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. You sure? You're not in a hurry? Listen to what Dr. Peterson says. Now, wait, before you play it, Dr. Peterson is a secular psychologist. Many believe, I don't even know if he's a Christian. I'm not here advocating for him. I just think it's so interesting. His view of the Bible compared to a man of God who's supposed to have a higher view of God's word. And yet here's a secular psychologist on the Joe Rogan show. Let it, come on. So, so now then you think, well, let's think about the relationship between words. Well, some words are dependent on other words. Some ideas are dependent on other ideas. The more ideas are dependent on a given idea, the more fundamental that idea is. By de that's a definition of fundamental. So now imagine you have an aggregation of texts in a civilization. You say, which are the fundamental texts? And the answer is, the texts upon which most other texts depend. And so you'd put Shakespeare way in there in English because so many texts are dependent on Shakespeare's literary revelations. And Milton would be in that category, and Dante would be in that category, at least in translation. Fundamental authors, part of the Western canon, not because of the arbitrary dictates of power, 
but because those texts influenced more other texts. And then you think about that as a hierarchy, okay, with the Bible at its base, which is certainly the case. Now imagine that's the entire corpus of, ling of linguistic production, all things considered. Now how do you understand that? Like, literally, how do you understand that? The answer is, you sample it by reading and listening to stories and listening to people talk. You sample that whole domain, you build a low-resolution representation of that in your, inside you, and then you listen and see through that. And so it isn't that the Bible is true. It's that the Bible is the precondition for the manifestation of truth, which makes it way more true than just true. It's a whole different kind of truth. Which makes it more, way more truer than just true. The Bible is the foundation of all. It certainly is, he said, certainly is. And here we have a man of God who cannot even, uh, oh man. But, but Jordan, that was good. It was the precondition for the manifestation of truth. Man, that, that's a fancy way of, let, let, me, let, me, let me help you out, Jordan. Dr. Peterson, because I, I, I do have some respect. I have a lot of respect for Dr. Peterson. But, but let, me, let, me, let me help him out. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh, and we call him Jesus. We call him Jesus. This is important what we're doing here. But I want you to notice, uh, I got two more. I got one long clip. We'll play the next two. We're going to leave the last one out. And uh, I want, I want to, we're going to tie it up after this. And hear me, I'm, for the, for, the, for the moment, don't hear me saying what I'm saying because it's necessarily true. Just hear me saying what I'm about to say because this is what was said. According to Jesus, good people don't go to heaven. According to Jesus, it's the very opposite of what most people who believe there's a heaven actually think and believe. And the fact that Jesus didn't believe that good people go to heaven, that doesn't necessarily make it true. That's just what he taught. And that's what he said. And clearly it's what he believed. But at the same on the mount, he took good to a whole nother level. He took good to such a level that the best people, the goodest people, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they found themselves condemned under Jesus' teaching as not even being good enough to keep their own laws. And yet never once did Jesus infer that if you're good enough, you'll spend eternity in heaven. Now, that doesn't mean Jesus was right. I'm just, my point is this. When it comes to the good, good people go to heaven, you gotta take everything about Jesus, everything he did, everything he taught, and you have to take it off the table and set it aside because Jesus and the teaching of Jesus is irrelevant to the thought that somehow there's a cosmic scale that if my good outweighs my bad, I'm good to go. I know it sounds more shocking than it actually is, but, but that's the thing with Andy. He's, and, and with a lot of these ministers, they're just playing mind games. Yeah. Keep it simple. Keep it to the word of God. Yeah. Th this is what I mean by it. He says, the teachings of Jesus are relevant. Take it all, put it aside when it comes to the good people go to heaven debate. Well, no Christian believes the good people go to heaven. None of us can be good enough. The Bible tells us there is none good except Jesus, except one. There's none good except one, him. So again, being insincere, how so? It's called a red herring argument. A red herring fallacy consists of diverting attention from the real issue by focusing instead on an issue having only a surface relevance to the first. See, he says, it's irrelevant to talk about Jesus when we're talking about good people go to heaven. Well, well, why are we talking about good people go to heaven? Why? Because what you're trying to say is this. You're trying to say, hey, look, none of us can be good enough. So do your best. Do your best. No! 
Good people don't go to heaven. Guess who goes to heaven? Saved people. So let's talk about salvation. Let's talk about I was walking this way, but I was apprehended by the gospel message and the spirit of the living God who changed my mind. I no longer live for me, but I live for. And how did that happen? I repented. I received by faith, by trusting his word. I received new life. What does that new life look like? Well, it's not content. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Well, I'm almost done. You ready to bring this home? Because we're going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit and we're going to wrap it all up, but I'm going to let the Bible talk for itself. You ready? You ready? Therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance. If you repented, bear fruit. This is the words of Jesus. Okay, well, how do I bear fruit? Well, Paul kind of clarifies it in the book of Galatians. He's given you the gospel of grace, the mystery of the gospel of grace. Watch. I say then, walk in the... Do you realize every one of Paul's letters talks over and over and over about walking in the spirit, not walking in the flesh? Watch. Walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust... Uh, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. What is he saying? I don't, I don't live righteous because the rules tell me. See, he makes it all about the rules and we can't, have, we can't live by the rules. Of course we can't live by the rules. That was the Old Testament. The New Testament says the power of the Holy Spirit helps you to live. No, watch, watch. I'm sick of preachers saying that grace gives us an excuse to live lower. Grace doesn't give you an excuse to live lower. It gives you a reason and a compelling within your heart to live higher. To live higher. I'm not trying to live in the gutter. I'm trying to honor him with my life. I'm not here going, well, I was saved by grace, so I can do anything. No, I want to live in an honorable way to him, worthy of what he paid for me. Oh, but you can't do it. You think you can do it in your own strength? No, I can't do it in my own strength. I yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, so you've been perfect? No, no. But I repent and I, and I keep walking it out. I use that word specifically. Stay with me. Galatians says, in that same verse, living by the Spirit, do not be deceived. It's the next chapter over. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will reap. What? Or he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap heaven, eternal life. Notice what he says to the Philippian church. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not just when I was present, but much more in my absence, work out. Notice the words there. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, we all know you can't work for your salvation, Andy. It's being disingenuous. We know that good people don't go to heaven. That's by grace. But now that you've been graced, what does Paul say? doesn't say work for it. That's a false equivocation. He says, now that you got it, come on, baby. Live it. Live it. Work it out with fear and trembling. Watch. With the Lord's authority, I say this to the Ephesians. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of what? You remember I told you to highlight that word shame? There it comes up again. You don't do what's shameful and then say, no, it's cool with God. They have, uh, they live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice. There's that word practice again. Remember? Practice. Every kind of impurity. Keep going. He talks about take off the old nature and watch the way he finishes. Put on your new nature. Created 
to be like God, truly righteous and holy. What's the point? The point is we're on a path, we're on a journey here to become more and more like God. Not to just say, well, this is who I am, I'm done. Watch, many will say to me on that day, these are the words of Jesus, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Wow. Anyone here saying, Lord, I want to make sure you know me. You want to make sure? By the power of the Holy Spirit, you say, I'm done living for myself, Lord. I give myself to you. I receive your gospel of grace by faith. I put my trust in it. I repent. I'm yours. The Holy Spirit comes in, and that's how he'll know you. Because he is your seal to the day of redemption. He's the one that's going to resurrect you from the grave. That's how Jesus will say, I knew you. Watch. I never knew you. Depart from me. You who what? There's that word practice again. But now it's going to tell you what you're practicing. Practice lawlessness. Okay, let's talk about what lawlessness is. According to John, 1 John, whoever commits sin also commits and sin is, let's keep going to verse 7. We're dropping down. He's still talking about lawlessness here. Little children, let no one, what? You see the themes coming up? There's deception. There's practices. There's things that will send you to hell if you don't live by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's right here. You who practice righteousness, he who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous, just as God is righteous. He who practices, same thought, or who sins is of the For the devil has sinned from the beginning. Let me go a step further. Jesus, speaking to his disciples about the end time, I'm already, I'm already almost done. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive how many? There's that word deception again. And because lawlessness will abound, what is lawlessness? Sin. Practicing sin. Not just, oh, I, I, I fell. No, I, I'm living this way. This is what I consider myself. It's right there. But because lawlessness will abound, the love of many... You know the love word is agape, which gives us the clue that he's talking about the church, that the church is going to have a falling away. And people are going to leave, but watch. But he who endures to the end shall be? All right. The Apostle Paul says that in the latter times, many would depart from their faith, giving heed to deceptive deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons. He goes on in 2 Timothy and says, know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Do you see it? Do you see it? I'm letting God's word speak for itself. What is he saying here? He's saying people are going to depart from the faith. They're going to start listening to doctrines of demons. Then he goes on to say, know this, that in the last days, Perilous times will come. I want you to ask yourself, do we see this today? For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to their parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now this is where I end. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And ultimately, this false gospel that none of us are good enough, therefore try your best, and let's not get too critical. I'm not being critical. I'm just saying, what does the Bible say? We already know we're not good enough. We enter in by grace. But the only way that happens is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will do just what his name says. He will transform you into the holy image of Jesus Christ. It might take a lifetime. 
things might unravel in this world and you might pass before you, you get there, but you, I know one thing the, the gospel makes perfectly clear. Those who practice lawlessness and say, this is just who I am. I have no desire to change. I have no, no, no heart for change. I want you to accept it, and that's just it. It says very, something very different about that. I know it's a hard message. Remember, I'm not so much against something as I'm for something. Watch. I'm for not denying the power of this book. This book changed me in ways I can't even explain. Set me free in all kinds of ways. No, no, I, I never struggled with homosexuality, but I struggled with others that are just as shameful. Just as shameful. And I'm so glad that no one kept, came around peddling that gospel that changes nothing. Saying, you don't have to change. That's just the way you are. Just clean it up a little bit. Don't talk about it, church. Just, just dignify it a little bit. I don't know how you do it, but do it. It's right there. Having a form of godliness. It means look godly. Oh, come on. I love you, church. This is what set me free, his blood on the cross and the promise of his Holy Spirit. And I want someone to know here today, whatever you're struggling with, he can set you free. He can set you free. today I also want you to know that you can speak the gospel of truth in love I love you we're all in this together yes not a one of us can be good enough but he walked that perfect sinless life he died on the cross paid for our sins and when we put our trust in him, he enters us by the power of his spirit and we become new creations. We walk in a new walk by his power. Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name. Have a great, great week, church. I love you with all my heart. I'll see you next week.